0: On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for again head on over to freedadcourse.com. get your five episode audio course to create more connection create more friendships and get back to living the life that you're trying to design dory one this is fire team delta dad's coming home welcome to the military veteran dad podcast where it is our mission to bring every dad home I'm your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Military Veteran Dad. I'm your host, Ben Colloy. This is episode 134. I just got off of a five day hunt and fishing expedition up in northern Wisconsin. Great time. Stay tuned for this upcoming Fatherhood Friday where I'll dive into it, unpack a little bit what I learned, what I experienced was like, and all that going with it. But today we've got Jake Blanchard. Jake is just an all around good guy, and he's been through a lot of the same struggles that I've been through. And that's what originally attracted me to Jake. I've been on his podcast, he's coming on mine today. The episode, it's just really rich in experience and having to really unpack those things that are holding us back. Jake is not a veteran, but his story is one that every veteran needs to hear because we are all trying to rewrite our story and to leave the past behind and enter the future. So let's get right into this interview with Jake Blanchard. And if you want my big takeaway, hang on to the other side. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Hey,
1: Ben. Thanks for having me, man.
0: I'm really excited for this because this our friendship just got started. I was on your podcast. You're coming on my podcast, but our stories, I feel like, are intertwined in the same bookshelf, but within different components of life and how we had to kind of just reboot ourselves. You aren't connected to the military, but our stories and what you had to go through are so much of what other people had to go through within their life. So tell us a little bit about your life today, and then we'll go back a little bit and figure out where you were and how you got where you are today.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, we'll hit the top of the waves here. Uh, I own a management consulting firm, uh, so I focus on like process improvement, and project management, um, just anywhere that a business has uh, problems operationally. Uh, I love to work in that space, uh, and I either contract out other consultants so that we can uh, can bid on it together, uh, or I'll hire a team, you know, project to project. Uh, I also do a podcast. You mentioned it here uh, in the intro, the Jake Blanchard podcast. I have guests from all walks of life come on, share their stories, their insights, their journeys. Uh, And again, uh, honored to have you on in the past as a guest. Uh, I do a web series called Out Jake's, uh, where I I like to explore different topics. uh, And then I also do high performance coaching. So, you know, really, I've got kind of four different veins that uh, keeps me entertained and excited and continuing to grow. Um, but my background professionally is in supply chain management. It's where I got my formal education, undergraduate master's degrees, uh, and worked a lot of years in healthcare, um, traveling the country for a lot of years, uh, working with different health systems, really well-known health systems in various roles. Um, yeah, absolutely. have been in Boise for about 15, 16 years. And before that, uh, I grew up in Alaska by way of Louisiana. So I've been all over the place and uh, enjoyed every minute of it.
0: So like you were born in Louisiana, but you were mostly raised in Alaska.
1: That's right. Yeah. I was, I was born in a, a small town called Lafayette, Louisiana. Well, actually it's Lafayette's not the small I would say town.
0: Lafayette's not very small. It's got its own university, um, if I remember.
1: Yeah. I was born in Lafayette. I live south of Lafayette, like kind of Youngsville, Abbeville, Erath area. Um, my dad's side of the family, a Cajun man. Like when we say Cajun, I mean like been, you know, Blanchard is a, obviously it's a French last name, uh, and a lot of rich Cajun French history, uh, uh, in, in that name. And then, you know, my mom's side of the family from, from South Louisiana, East Texas. Uh, so I was the, actually the first like generation, I guess, that kind of left Louisiana. Um, most of my family is still
0: down there in both my dad's and, and mom's side. So let's go back to a moment. Cause I almost, I'm so interested in the gap between like your early years in Alaska and where you are here, but then also knowing there's some trials in between. So when you graduated high school, what was your programming like in your mind and how life worked?
1: Oh man, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, You know, high school was an interesting time for me, man. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough um, to be in a rock band. I was, uh, I was in a heavy metal band with a couple of friends of mine uh, and we were practicing all the time. We were decent. Um, That'd be pretty good. And I played a bunch of shows. And that's actually what I thought I wanted to do is play bass guitar in a rock band and go travel around. I just so happened my junior year start to uh, to date a gal uh, who's my wife now, Megan. We've been together over 17 years. We've been married for 12. And she had a really good head on her shoulder at the time. And uh, she was looking to go to radiology school. And she wanted to be an x-ray tech. And You know, I wasn't necessarily sure on what I wanted to do. It was like, well, if I go to college, I could probably get in. I had decent enough grades. Um, But I had very little realization of what that journey might look like. Like I'd sat for my SATs, ACTs, definitely didn't blow anything out of the park, really average or maybe below average uh, from that standpoint. But um, her being driven allowed me to see a future outside of say the state or a future outside of just having the blinders on wanting to do music only. Uh, so I took a chance and followed her to Idaho. Um, we started living together at 18 and, uh, that's kind of what my programming was then it was just like, Hey, let's, let's take a chance. Let's get out of Alaska and let's see if we can make this work.
0: So did you believe that there was like other roads or did you kind of still adopt it? Like there was, I have to get a job. I have to go to school. I have to follow this common path of what we call the American dream.
1: Um that's a great question. I would say that once I committed to going to college, I really ignored any other opportunity for say a, a varying path outside of, you know, traditional education white picket fence, golden retriever, which you know, it's it's funny my wife and I laugh. We literally have a white picket fence and a golden retriever and a 7-year-old and a 5-year-old and a house out in the suburbs and it's like okay, like that that was the thing. And, and, you know, for me, and we can unpack this a little bit more, um, because that wasn't something that was like deep inside of me to achieve. Achieving it is just kind of like, I don't know, I guess this is where we were headed. <laughs> so, it just
0: happened without us even, even knowing it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, once I got to college, uh, <laughs> though I kind of messed around my first two years, uh, I ended up taking it really seriously my junior year and and
0: invested fully in it. Was there anything you got wrong about how life works in those early years that you kind of just assumed because everybody else was doing it? Because for us, and I think veterans, even because we're coming out, we're following using our GI Bill. We go out, we do what we're supposed to do that. We just don't really ask better questions to see if there's something different. Even once we get to school, we just kind of think that there's this road you follow and you're you get to the end, you get your paper and then you move on to the next step. It's very process orientated almost from like what probably what you do now and I feel like a lot of people that didn't have the military go from high school to college. They're still a little bit more free spirited, but the military kind of makes us more disciplined and we're just more focused. So, is there anything that you kind of got wrong when you were going through there?
1: Oh, you bet. I, I think the biggest thing was um, because I was an okay student, um, I was, got really good at arguing C's to B's in high school. I used to like, I'd get like a C plus. And I would like look through the test and I'd pick the couple of questions that would get me over the edge. And then I would go basically argue with a teacher to get her to like, or he to understand that like, this is how I read this. And like, I had this whole lot, like I spent more time trying to argue one or two questions on the test than I'd spend on the test because that difference between like a C and a B in my parents' eyes was like really big. So I wasn't doing the work and I could kind of argue myself into this realm. And a lot of teachers just kind of gave up. Like, yeah, whatever. I'll give you the, the other two points if that's uh, so important for you. But by the time you get to college and by the time you have like an actual job, you realize that like you can't just argue your way into things. And that was a big realization for me. I mean, I was I was always trying to make that extra effort to, to convince people of... You know, maybe there being another side to something, uh, and I got a lot of value out of those conversations. But you know, reality kind of hits you in the face, and people aren't—you uh, know—they're—they're they're not saddling up for that kind of shit all the time. So, um, you know, a couple people losing patience with me early on made me realize that you know maybe I should just let my actions speak for themselves and do the work and <laughs> and and uh, be a little more uh, reliable.
0: What I hear in that is almost this like early lesson. That you had to learn that the external universe won't validate what I have to feel on the inside myself. One hundred percent. Yeah. Like, uh, like my parents' approval, these extra points, like whether a professor says it or not, like was I? I'm sure there's a little bit of ego in this that you went around bragging you could go from Cs to Bs. That this was all kind of like external cushioning to make up for that feeling that maybe you didn't have on the inside.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my dad, the first business book I ever read, my dad gave me. I was like 13 years old. I still have it on my my bookshelf over here, but I believe the title is something along the lines of you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And I like really took that to heart. It sounds like it. And I I figured like I could just negotiate my way out of everything, but and there's an important skill set there. Like negotiation is critical in my day-to-day business, running my firm. Like absolutely. You have to be able to go to the table. You have to kind of know what the stakes are. You have to know what your best alternatives are in any kind of negotiation that you get into. But really, if that's your core value proposition, uh, as opposed to like, hey, I'm a really hardworking individual that also can negotiate for myself, like that that shift in paradigm was important for me. And I found it around 21 years old, 22 years old, something like that.
0: And I feel like when you were able to, like negotiation in in general is... When you come from the place of as a whole person, it's more about like, what's the truth on the table versus almost negotiating some like ego or trying to just like hide something. And then there's also, then you hurt your trust when you're doing it from that component versus like, this is what it is, but we're really not where we need to be. But you're not doing it from that place of like what you had mentioned earlier about the feeling of something on the inside.
1: Oh, sure. And and, and they'll tell you if you study negotiation, what you're really looking for is a win-win or a win-win-win, right? I mean, you you really want to make sure that all the people who are participating uh, in the negotiation are walking away from the table feeling validated, feeling whole, feeling like they got the best deal or got a, a, a good deal uh, in there. And when you're only negotiating selfishly, like for a grade, um, <laughs> your teachers aren't winning. They're not getting value out of that. Uh, and if you take that into the work environment, you could probably relate thinking about people that you've worked with, that can't take individual responsibility, They can't raise their hand and say, hey, no, I did that. They'll try to convince everybody else that it was someone else's fault or some happenstance that they have nothing to do with. Um, I'm glad that my maturation process started to kind of shift and, and kind of give up uh, on always trying to convince everyone how right I was. So let's go to your
0: dad origin story. Because when you, we just first found out you were becoming a dad and like two weeks prior you were not in the best physical shape and you'd almost kind of like let kind of life become stagnant probably from the way you were describing it.
1: Yeah. You know, there's actually, there's kind of two layers to that. So I know you and I have talked a little bit about um, my, my daughter being born and really being an awakening for me, but I have a, I have a son who's about two years older. Um, and I had quit my job uh, at a hospital this was the end of 2012 to take an opportunity to be a consultant in Southern California. So I was literally getting on a plane every single week from Boise. I was flying into Los Angeles. Um, and two days after I quit my job, my wife told me she was pregnant with our first child. And so I had just signed up for this year long commitment to be on a plane every week, to only be home Friday, Saturday, fly back out Sunday, uh, and be gone the next week. So, um, You know, as far as origin stories, as a father, I found myself, you know, I got my contract re-upped. So I spent about two years in Southern California. The first year of my son's life, I was home for about 70 days, um, which was tough on me. And when I came back home uh, to start working for a health IT um, consultancy here in Idaho, uh, I had a lot of toxic head trash uh, in my brain parts and it turned into a lot of uh, overeating. It turned into like drinking every day. It turned into it manifested uh, into a lot of um, what what I would consider fairly negative uh, behaviors. You know, the you show outwardly what you feel inwardly sometimes. And, and that's certainly what I was uh, doing. But uh, to the next point, um, right before my daughter was born. So about a year after I'd gotten back from, from, uh, my stint in Southern California, um, I realized that I was 240 pounds. Um, I'm 5'11", so I was definitely overweight. I was uh, going on like a mile walk to the park in our neighborhood and getting gassed. I uh, was just no cardio involved. I'd made some efforts to kind of lose weight, but nothing that was tied to discipline or real goals or anything like that. And I realized that I wasn't modeling behavior uh, for my children that I would have liked to have modeled uh, for myself growing up, so I said, "Well, I guess I really need to uh, make an investment in my health." Um, and then I found along the way Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, which was really exciting for me, uh, and that really embarked a whole weight loss journey and embarked uh, a lot of self-reflection uh, and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of time and effort trying to fix. You know, everybody's trying to fix themselves, so a lot of time and effort starting the journey to, uh, to to start to understand myself a little bit better.
0: When you were going through those moments, did you? I can imagine. So I'm wondering, like, how did you have the conversation with yourself that, like, because a lot of times when men get in that moment, they get into this point where, like, for me, like early on, it was guys like me don't do things like that. Did you have that like inner question kind of preventing you from moving through the head trash?
1: yeah you know, I had a lot of insecurity. Um, well, let me let me put it this way. i, I you know I'm a big reader. like I, I read books all the time. and i and at the time, even before I was really trying to work on myself, I was reading business books or self-help books or motivational books. But I would read everything in the book, and instead of taking in the information and truly reflecting on it, I would just like I was reading for the sake of reading. I was like, I'm doing something like I'm reading and the act of me reading is going to help fix the problem as opposed to I'm distilling the important information out of this. I'm being critical of myself in a positive way. I'm extracting maybe the behavioral changes that I need to make. And then I'm applying them practically in my life. So that bridge wasn't ever being crossed, uh, but I was reading a bunch of books and I was wondering why I wasn't getting better. Um, but to, to answer your question directly, like, I wasn't thinking guys like me don't do X, Y, Z. I was thinking I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. um, But maybe this isn't for me because I'm not changing.
0: Mm -hmm. That like, it just kind of took you to internally, like keep asking the same question. and like, why am I getting the same result? And then, okay, like maybe I'm doing the wrong process.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So let's go into a, a slightly different area. So within this component, you're kind of at what your bottom would, I would call figuring out that you're consuming a lot, but you're not really doing a lot with it. And now looking back in my own life, I know one huge ingredient that is who you surround yourself with. Did that happen initially, like that you had like hungry people, probably from like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like just being in there. And then you're like, you see the gap between what they're doing and you're doing. You see like there's more that you need to do versus just read. Was it just as easy as that to surround yourself with people there? Or was it a different kind of people came into your life at the right time to be like, there's a better way or a higher way that I can actually live every day.
1: Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, it, there's definitely some dots to connect here. I think the first thing that I went out and did is I went to therapy. Um, I had, especially before my daughter was born, before I found Brazilian jiu-jitsu, anything like that. What I realized is like when my son was crying and like, I didn't know what to do or like I hadn't been around enough to feel like I had a real bond or a with connection with him. A, yeah, a real connection, like I would instantly spiral. Like he's crying because of me and I don't know how to fix it. And like, and it was, it, it was going pretty deep. Like I, I started to build a lot of like resentment toward myself, a lot of resentment toward fatherhood in general. Like, and you know, the thing is my dad was gone a lot when I was a kid, he was working his ass off out in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, in the oil
0: field. And so he'd be
1: gone two, three weeks at a time. He commuted he'd be for- from
0: Alaska to the Gulf.
1: No, no, no. We live in Louisiana. I was there till I was 10.
0: Oh, okay. That makes more sense. I was like, that's Mexico. a long commute.
1: <laughs> no, but hey, a lot of people actually. Um,
0: a lot of people do do that though, but they, I was they like, go that's a long commute. places
1: like Louisiana. I know people in Florida that go up to the North Slope to work two and twos. Um, but yeah, so he was, um, so he was doing that when I was a kid. And so like I had a lot of resentment on uh, toward myself. I'm like, hey, like I said, I wouldn't do stuff like that. You know, not not demonizing what he did. it just was an inconvenient way to live as a child. You want your dad home all the time. Um, and so I had to deal with that, went to therapy. And then, you know, at some point in time, I, I started to find a little bit of, of personal responsibility in that and started to find a little like, hey, it's okay. You can start to forgive yourself. The only thing that really matters is is what you do moving forward. You have a lot of time. But what's happening right now is you're not going to be happy if you pull this current state forward, you have to change something. Um, and so yeah, certainly found your j- jujitsu and then found a group of, of folks in jujitsu that are just good, solid men and women uh that are are going to improve every single day. And being in an environment where I was learning, but I wasn't learning like business, I wasn't learning like, you know, I'm not a I was never like a fiction reader. I was always like I was always reading books that were around business or process improvement or some, you know, some kind of certification to, to keep tagging alphabet soup behind my name professionally. Like that's was what was important to me. But really when I, I just opened up and allowed myself to learn something for the betterment of myself with on my journey, uh, my pace, um, and allowed other people to give me advice and destroy my ego. I remember the first time I walked in jujitsu, I was a 15 year old kid who absolutely throttled me. I am a 29 year old, 240 pound man, and I got a 15 year old climbing on my back like a spider monkey, choking me out. Uh, that's a humbling experience, you know. And so, yeah, absolutely, being around uh, a group of individuals in that way starts to catalyze um, a focus or a, a more deeply entrenched sense of self uh, that that catalyzed a lot of change moving forward.
0: As Matthew McConaughey would say from his recent book Green Lights, you learn the approach to life versus like the knowledge of life or the, the doing of life. But it was like, as he says, his book isn't a self help book, autobiography. It's an approach book of how he approached his life and ended up where he is. And that's what you kind of get when you observe a process. Because, like you said, Brazilian jiu jitsu. Isn't something that you can make a million dollars at. I mean, you probably can, but most people won't, but it's something that just kind of carves away your soul to reveal more of what's underneath through that BS. And, and it's in one of those physical things as well. Like you actually have to like put in the work, you have to grow through that work and you get to see the transformation as well. So like it has a physical metaphor, that happens, the internal part. I can only imagine how that like materialized throughout your time. And I would imagine your son's old enough for it as well now or not yet.
1: Uh, he is. And he, he trains kind of in the winter time. Uh, he's a lacrosse player. So like he's, he's seven, he's about to turn eight actually next week. Um, and he just, he loves that sport. So we're kind of anytime he has a gap in his schedule, he'll go and train. Uh, and it'll be up to him when he gets a little older, if he wants to train really seriously
0: around it. What day is your son's birthday? on uh, the 18th. That is the exact day of my son's birthday.
1: Oh, nice. How old's your son?
0: Seven or he's oh, turning he's gonna, seven.
1: Oh, he's turning seven. Okay. So yeah. he's Easton's turning eight. Uh, That's really cool, man.
0: Yeah, like the the irony in our stories continue to continue. (laughs) For sure. So let's go into, like, you've got this moment, you're rebooting it, you're kind of peeling back away the onion, you're revealing more of who you are. How did you get the clarity enough in the balls to really redefine your life and start your own business? Because that's an entirely different layer of going out there and putting yourself out there too make sure one, that you don't create something that becomes the enemy of your family, that you don't get caught up in that consulting world before. I mean, there's probably some internal fear that you've even dealt with. Like, how am I not going to get back to where I was? So what was that growth moment like?
1: Yeah. So well, you know, the funny thing is, um, I, I talked about that tipping point around junior year of college where I got really serious about business or like being a... I actually got serious about being a consultant before I really ever had my first business job, right? I was like, I I turned in my apron working at Chili's, got a scholarship, academic scholarship, and then like was like, I'm going to be a business consultant. I don't want to work for anybody. I want to work on problems on their behalf. And then I want to leave because I don't want to operationalize anything. I I just like to to solve and then move on to the next problem. Uh, So I created my consultant firm when I was 21 years old. I mean, I I own the name. I filed the LLC uh, originally for it. I had the domain, all that. I didn't really act on it uh, or do much with it until that time I went to Southern California. So I opened it up for two years. I had a couple months left on the contract uh, when I left UCLA Medical Center. I had one or two other deals uh, in the hopper that I could have worked. But what I needed because mentally i was just exhausted from being on planes every week and and wanted to spend some time with my children and was planning on having a second child and just could not think about traveling that much or in that way anymore um closed the consulting business down for 5 years and um you know i made this transformation like we we're talking about you know i lost 50 pounds whatever it's 60 pounds something like that i was At the time, I was like, I was buck 42. I went down to about 183 and I'm about 195 now, but losing the weight was just one part of kind of the rebuild. And I didn't really get the second piece of it uh, until two or three years later when um, I had some unearned arrogance associated with just like who I was, like I lost weight and I'm a consultant or whatever. And I just kind of felt like I was hot shit and it was starting to permeate into my life. Like the way I interacted with my wife, the way that I interacted with other people. Like, I mean, I've, I've had people nickname me two shits because I couldn't give two shits about what I had to say because I was always trying to be right. I was always trying to like, like, you know, badger them with some
0: kind of fun fact. And, um, well, when you've been reading as much as you have, cause that was kind of me early on, like you were yeah. almost, it was like a smoke screen.
1: Exactly. You try to
0: like be the smartest person, so they don't notice something that you don't want to admit, because you know all this stuff, and that's supposed to make it's going back to probably that external validation that had in full full circle and real it, showed up in its ugly head.
1: Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's a hundred percent it. So something was still kind of missing there, and I think a lot of it had to do um, with just accepting the fact that I needed to level up in another area of my life, which was showing up as a husband, showing up as a father, being really purposeful about the time that I'm spending with my family, understanding what my time and being around me actually means to them and giving that value because it's something I didn't really do. I was just like one of the four people that exist in the home as opposed to someone who can change the pace and the energy of the day or someone that they've been waiting to see all day. like. Those, it just didn't set in for me. Um, I had uh, a little over two years ago an opportunity to travel down to Southern California um, because I had heard about this new program called the Modern Day Night Project. And it was put on by um, a guy named Bedros Koolian and a Navy SEAL and a Marine and this, uh, you know, this martial arts expert and this former SWAT operator. And just some really cool, solid guys uh, that were trying to help men, one, Physically test them, which was something that I deeply needed was a physical test, uh, and then beat them down into a way that they could deal with maybe some deep rooted trauma or just wake up to you know maybe where they're phoning it in uh, in different areas of their life. Uh, and so I needed that intensity. I went through that seventy five hour program. Uh, it's no walk in the park, you know 40% of the people who try to go through it fail to go through it. There's a bell, you ring it if you can't make it through. Like it's very modeled offer after you know, maybe buds or you know some of these types of things. Um, at least in the context of the bell. And so when I, when I got back uh, into uh, when I got back in, uh, to Idaho, I realized that I wasn't living my truth. I wasn't doing the things that were truly important to me. Uh, I was working for an organization who I believed in and who I liked and who I appreciated in a lot of ways, but it wasn't filling my cup long term or professionally. Uh, and so I decided I'd start my own business and uh, you know see where the world goes from there.
0: Well, in this case, you didn't have to start it. you just had to pick up the pieces
1: exactly. yeah, yeah, They'd get back to consulting, which was something that I was um. You know, always interested in all along. If I was to do something in business, I might as well be listening to other people's business problems and then help them apply frameworks or distill what the problem really is and then offer up solutions.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure where you're going to go with this question, but I'd love to hear anything you've got on it. Where was your relationship with your dad during the struggle? Did you open up to your dad that you might feel lost and that you are having this trouble connecting? Like, What role did he play?
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, this is something I don't talk about a whole lot, but uh, right before my son was born, um, my parents and I stopped talking for the better part of three years, very little contact between us. Um, let's see. So it had been 2013 through about 2016, 2017, something like that. Um, and you know, I was definitely part of the struggle. It was definitely part of the, you know, I, I really enjoyed, um, uh, talking to my father, um, but we just didn't see eye to eye about a handful of things. Um, it was specifically around uh, it, just a lot of things in life, <laughs> and uh, we needed some space. And uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily interested in picking up the phone and calling me. And uh, likewise, from my perspective, uh, until uh, about four years ago, um, they they reached out and we kind of worked through what we had going. And and now I talk to him, you know, at least once a week. Um, moving forward. So definitely a, a better relationship with my parents there. But there were some things from childhood that had just kind of reared his head, things that we we couldn't necessarily get over. and and th- those were the things that I had to work through uh, in order to uh, kind of conquer or at least get going on the path of uh, for healing myself.
0: Mm-hmm. And those components, when you're like the 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 fatherhood story, the parents story, those can be such like messy areas because, like on an extreme case, like I often hear it where like a dad will kill himself when a child's younger and the guy grows up and he has never really figured out how this affected his life. Like I, I actually learned this from Larry Hagner's podcast that like when a dad kills himself, his kids are haunted with the question, why didn't my dad love me enough to stay? And that feeling, that void, like that always. And so I can imagine there was that void even for those three years. Like you just, you couldn't fill it. Like it was just one of those that like you couldn't numb it. You tried to numb it. You tried to run from it. You tried to not acknowledge it, but it just kept kind of being there. And it was something you had to go through to actually get to the other side and discover whatever was supposed to happen and get to that place where you can rise up on your own. Like that's the, I think that's the modern man story that we need to, recognize where we're like the boundaries of love, where we're not recognizing, where we didn't get it early on, where we're trying to get it from others and realizing the only person that can move your life forward is the man in the mirror. And it's the love you've got to bring to yourself to create that whole person. And what I love about, when I think about this wholeness of love, I always add the word integrity into it because integrity has the root word integer and integer is a whole number in mathematics. And to live a whole life you have to be a whole person and that whole person has to be able to run almost like autonomously as the person that's capable of doing what he do, needs to do, meet his own needs, live his own life, lead his own life. And if we haven't identified those early stories, it's just kind of like that ball and chain that slows everything down.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with that fully. Um, And, and as we're kind of unpacking this, I think the... The biggest issue that I had was not, not, not that I need validation today, but I think that most men, uh, who are lucky enough to have their fathers, um, around when they have kids, uh, would love the feeling of their father being like, Hey, you're doing a good job,
0: son. Like, Hey, like, yeah, that's like a s- billion dollar feeling. And <laughs> right? it's like, never too late. If there's a dad out there listening, it's never too late to have a relationship with your kids, no matter how much tr- drama and trash is under the bridge, it's always easy. And like a child is, no matter what he tells you, even they're always looking to have that conversation. They just need someone to not give up on them almost. It's like that, that feeling that they just need to know that you fight for them, even if they are not ready for you to be there, they want you to know that you care enough to try.
1: No, for sure. And, you know, I, I've had that feeling since, you know, and, and, you know, my, my challenges. Um, with my parents. And we worked through those to the best of our abilities. We got to a place that's very stable um, between our families and and whatnot. And I I think it's a really good relationship these days. And I share a lot about my life with them uh, because they ask, because they want to know, because they're present these days. But those three years, especially when I was transitioning out of working in Southern California, I was trying to figure out myself as a father. I was trying to understand why i felt the way that i felt about myself uh, i think a lot of it had to do with just having that void or like having that guilt around you know i wishing that we had a better connection uh at that time at that the early stages of my son and early stages of my daughter's lives
0: and what i want to highlight because this is something that veterans can really get hung up on and i feel like you've also recognized it and so i want to bring awareness to it is that you, you've woken up to this idea that you lived a rich life that has good and bad, but that richness is what's going to lead you into the future and have stronger kids, more capable daughters, more capable son, that you're going to be able to use the full capacity of your life and how it's unfolded, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to strengthen your family, not something that creates this barrier or prevents you from being who you need to be or you're reaching your full potential. Like That is something that many dads really get hung up on is we see all this baggage as reasons why we can't be a good dad. But in reality is it's all the reasons, what makes you a great dad when you understand how to use it.
1: I think, I, I think another part of the equation here is, is that I spent a lot of years trying to change them or manage their perception of me, you know, like really, really wanted to influence how they saw me and what light they saw me in uh, as opposed to just being really authentic with who i am and just and and having that confidence that like hey i am a good dad and hey i'm a good husband and hey i'm good at business or i'm good at this or that like in just being proud of myself i was looking for that external validation i was looking for that like that nighting i was looking for that relationship that i wasn't building people will build the relationship that you allow them to build with the way that you act so if you act very mature, if you act, you know, the, you need to act in the way that you think. Of, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, you <laughs> want to
0: act essentially as like the person you want them to reflect back. And what you reflect out will be reflected back. And you'll often, if you're upset with what you're getting, it's usually because you're putting something out that's just coming back in your face.
1: Then I need to have the words for it, brother.
0: Yeah, and or, or Usually I always have an amazing analogy. That's usually something one of my superpowers is the way to have an analogy for every moment in life.
1: Yeah, it's exactly that, and and you know if you're trying to dictate the way that everyone feels about you, and if you're trying to dictate. Every little thing, or perception, or getting caught up on any word that they use because it offends you in some way, shape, or form. I mean, that's what I'm guilty of. It just being hypersensitive instead of just kind of letting the relationship kind of flow through me. And it took those years to learn that and to go sit besides myself and kind of re-parent myself in a meaningful way and to develop a sense of self as a man uh, and as a father and as a husband, and then come back to that relationship with a very mature. Um, Version of it, and to accept them for as they are, and to give them the opportunity to accept me and my family the way that we are. Uh, and I think that's really how you heal is is if someone says they're sorry, accept it and move on. and and then that's uh, what we did. and And that's how we got to where we are now.
0: and it also works both ways. Like you forgiving them isn't something that has to be reciprocal. Like you can be at peace if it's even if it's not accepted. like that is also a part of that. I want to go time travel because I got a vibe and I want to go there and I want to see if there's anything there. I want to go to when you were doing the modern day night program. You're going through probably a crucible event of hell. And there was probably a moment where you broke down and kind of like a before Christ and after Christ moment when you kind of realized something that you needed to get broken down to, to the bare minimum of who Jake is. Is there a moment there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, man, I don't want to give too much away about the project.
0: Uh (laughs) More speak to what broke you down and what you saw in yourself.
1: Yeah. You know, we were like 60 hours in and, uh, you know, you're, you're carrying these big logs, these jugs of water and. I guess some called the twig, which is just this like 200 pound box. It's a preposterous amount of weight. It has like straps on it. They have to carry it around. Um, and I'm sitting there and it's, you know, again, it's like, you know, you got about 15 hours left of this thing. We've seen a couple people leave already. And, uh, we were on this hike. It was like a three mile hike with all this stuff. And, I actually, might have been closer forty hours, and I, I don't know exactly what it is. Time just kind of slips by. But anyway, I'm, I, I remember sitting. You're on the home stretch. Sure, I uh, and, and I'm, I remember sitting there and, and going, "One, you know, hey, why am I doing this? Like, why am I pushing myself physically? Why am I giving up autonomy of my life and the decisions that I make for seventy-five hours and doing what these crazy people uh, are telling me to do?" And then I had the realization that, like, hey you're not actually in control of your life right now. Like That's why you are here. It's What you're doing is reestablishing control of your life. And in order to do that, the, the vehicle that you chose was giving control of everything away so that you just do for a little while. You just listen. You just suffer the consequences. You just take whatever life gives you. And you only focus on doing the tasks at hand you focus on blaming no one else but yourself. And when I started having that conversation of like, hey, why am I here? Oh, I'm here because I truly do need this. I'm here because I do need to get broken down so that I can rebuild this. I need to start fresh. And in and, and your words, that before Christ, after Christ moment, like I need to, I, I need to be okay with sacrificing the person who I was for the person that I want to be. Um, and I need to kind of rebuild that. I need to rebuild that sense of self. And that's why I'm here. And it really kind of woke me up to the fact that the pain that I was enduring or the things that I was doing, I had already pushed myself well past my limits of what I thought I was capable of doing. Uh, I knew I still had some fight left in the tank. And so like, why not finish this thing? Uh, And then why not see what's on the other side? Why why can't I be everything that my family needs? Why can't I be everything that I need and the people that are around me that what they need? Um, and my business, and why why can't I just grow the thing that I want to grow and just work hard every day? Like there's no reason that I can't obtain all these things. The only person that's holding me back is my limiting beliefs. Um, and so, you know, probably paraphrasing actually the conversation that I had when you're on like a twenty or thirty minute hike uh, carrying heavy shit. And I really just started to accept the process. And I found that when I got home. and I haven't been perfect, right? It's not like you become this kind of like, of, you know, this dialed in hundred percent warrior, you know, on, on the other side. But and like you and I have talked in the past, what I found is my recovery time is what's collapsed. Like if I start to deviate, if I start to think negatively, if I start to do things that are not in my vision for myself, I can identify it, I can make peace with it, and I can course correct so much faster now. Uh, and I'm just always kind of in the room with myself looking at the way that I'm interacting with things. Uh, And that's kind of what that moment and what that overall experience gave for me.
0: What I hear in that is a man that had to learn to let go of the illusion of control and embrace the illusion that life will happen as it's supposed to, and it'll unfold to where you're supposed to. and And the second component is that you're worthy of all the goodness that is in your life. And you can receive that without that feeling of control, and you can be present in that. And it was this kind of like probably where you like, almost like you were going through a fog. And as you reached that 60th hour, you were like, the fog started clearing and you started seeing like your, your potential almost of what you could do if you let go of that illusion of that control.
1: Yeah. And it, you bring up such an important nuance point there, the, the being worthy and that's something that I've struggled with, grappled with for a long time. I mean, many of us are fortunate in this life. We're fortunate in the country that we were born in, maybe the families that we were born in, the, the jobs that we found. Like, there's a lot of ways to reflect and, and feel fortunate. Um, feeling worthy, uh, I think, is different. Like, I, it's a lot easier for me to be like, oh, I was lucky or, oh, this and that, as opposed to like, hey, I worked hard and I earned this in some way, shape, or form. And because of that, I'm worthy of the results that I've created in my life. Like I'm, I'm I'm worthy for my children to tell me that they love me and my wife to tell me that they love me. That's okay. I got into this social contract with them because I wanted that love. That's <laughs> that's how we're
0: interacting. And you're perfectly uh, capable of receiving it and yeah. processing it and showing it and reflecting it back as well. Like you're you can be this being of love that gives it back just as easily as you can receive it.
1: Yeah. And the the confidence around that too. Like I I truly am worthy. I I am confident that when my child says that they love me, they really love me and they're accepting me and I'm worthy of that love and I'm giving it back to them and they can feel it too. What a wonderful transaction that is. Um, and, And I can tell you, just like we talked about earlier, when I came back from Los Angeles, for instance. I wasn't making that connection. I wasn't making it with my children. And then for those two or three years I just talked about, it was on and off with my wife. It was on and off with my kids. Like it was very hard for me to feel worthy of that love. It was very hard for me to get through that guilt. It was very hard for me to break through my ego, uh, my false sense of confidence and false sense of accomplishments and that people should roll out a red carpet for me because I'm Jake fucking Blanchard. Like I-
0: No one gives two shits (laughs) who Jake fucking Blanchard is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Until, until- I give two shits about who I am. And, right. and as long as what I'm trying to do is um fill the people's cups up around me, be better every single day for myself, only compare me to me. Uh, love my wife and my children with everything that I have, uh, and care for others who are you know, trying to build businesses around me or try or try to need a friend sometimes, like just being there for other people, um, service before self, what what an amazing. Uh, way to operate, and what an amazing way to feel worthy by operating with that gratitude. And, and so, it's definitely a, a big life lesson over the last two or three years that I've been able to pick
0: up. So, with all the things that you've figured out, where is Jake headed? Who is he becoming?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, professionally, uh, I have a lot of unfinished business. Uh, <laughs> Grow in this consulting firm. Uh, and so, you know, I, I have a vision of what I want this company to be, and, and the types of clients that I'd like to work with, and the types of problems I'd love to solve in the industry. Uh, and so, I'm striving uh, to, you know, bid on stuff continuously, put myself in different problem spaces, grow as a professional, very comfortable there. Um, from a podcast standpoint, uh, maybe like you, uh, I'm just I'm having a lot of fun with it, man. Like what a cool experience to talk to people all the time. It's it's been a big part of my personal growth, um, launching a podcast and just bringing on various guests and hearing what they have to say. Whether they're experts on brain matter or motivational speaking or Brazilian jujitsu, like I just I get fired up around those types of conversations. Um, as a as a father, a um, couple of things. Uh, one, uh, trying not to be so vocal at my children's sporting events. Working on that. Um, <laughs> that's a, uh, that's been a really difficult thing for me. I didn't play a lot. of. And you're team usually sports. probably
0: the odd man out. Cause that's definitely something that as a society, American culture loves being vocal at our kids' sporting events.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, I know it. I'm, I'm, uh, and, and I'm one of those dads right now too. And I, and I got to dial it back because like. I'm trying to coach my son from the sidelines, uh, which is not awesome. Uh, I see him now, like he'll make a play and then he'll like look over at me and I'm like, what are you doing looking at me? And then my wife is like, you know, you created that, right? Like you, you're the person who's reinforcing this like positive, negative behavior, of you on the sidelines. So like there's areas that as a father, I mean, I'm, I'm attuned to that. I'm like messing up, uh, but I hear your I have, ears
0: are wide open now, maybe versus like a few years ago, your wife would have given that feedback and you're like, what does she know?
1: Oh yeah, 100%. Like just the, the fact that I trust her that she's giving me feedback that will improve the relationship that I have with my children and that I'm not infallible and or infallible or however you say that word. Um that's that's big. So like I really saw it toward the back end of his last lacrosse season. Uh I worked on it during baseball. I didn't do the best. Um and I was also coaching his team, so it was a hard balance for me, but as it goes back to lacrosse next month, so I'm just going to clap and smile and, you know, give him my love and, and appreciation and, uh, kind of go from there. So, you know, just little stuff like that, man, I'm so interested in, in figuring out ways to become a better man every day. Um, figuring out ways to, uh, to, to become a better husband. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on right
0: now. What I hear in all of that is a Jake Blanchard that's choosing to become life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm like everything you do, in everything it. in your life represents being alive. Yeah. And all the things we use to define something that's alive versus dead or sick or dying.
1: Yeah. And it's and it's around expectations too, right? If, if I sat there and I tried to pick up the pen and author how everything should be before it happens, I'm going to walk around pretty dissatisfied uh, with the results. So people should talk to me in this way. Like my kids should view me in this light. Like I'm just I'm out here to earn it, man. I'm I'm out here to earn their love. I'm out here to earn their respect. I'm out here to earn my place in their life. In um, the rent's do every day, and I just need to keep showing up uh, in the best way that I can. I'm gonna have my bad days. I'm gonna have my blind spots. Um, and I just I need to find those people in my life who are willing to tell me uh, what those are. C- case in point. Uh, and I I hope my mother-in-law listens to this, by the way, Rhonda, I hope you're listening. Um, But my, my wife, the other day, she goes, Hey, my uh, in-laws, you know, they're, they're going to potentially come uh, to town. Um, And she goes, uh, Hey, we're going to take this road trip. And I'm like, awesome. Let's take this road trip. And she goes, yeah. My mom asked that you not drive. (laughs) I'm looking at her and I'm like, what do you mean by that? That I'm not that you're gonna to come to my house and I don't get to drive. And she goes, Yes. Yeah. She goes, when she's in the car with you for a couple hours and you're driving, she gets car sick. And I'm like, Well, that's her problem, right? Like, I can't control someone getting car sick. And my wife goes, No, I do too. She goes, You drive really jerky. She's like, You your foot on the gas and the brake is inconsistent. She's like giving me all these driving tips. And I I got my feelers hurt for a good hour uh, on it. I kind of fought it for a little while and then I was just like, maybe there's some truth to it. I was like, maybe maybe there is some truth to the way that I drive is dissatisfactory to people. I ended up asking my kids. I asked my son. I was like, son, I was like, do you feel like I drive pretty jerky? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> so, that's something I'm working on too, man, trying to just be open to that kind of feedback and trying to in, improve uh improve all the little areas I can.
0: I'll help you honor that because there's a moment where I had to get honored in the same way of give yourself the grace to, that you created the space for people to speak openly about that. Like it's something simple, but most men would not be able to have that conversation or hear that feedback without it turning into a big argument. You actually have that psychological safety that your your son even felt safe enough to say it about his dad.
1: Yeah. And you know, here's the thing I get I, I, this last week, cause this mm-hmm. is a pretty fresh this is a pretty fresh wound here, Ben. Um, you know, I, I get into the, the car, the truck now, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive the speed limit one, maybe just a little over instead of a lot over. And I'm going to really focus on my gas to brake ratio here. I'm going to slow down. I want to make those corners. Like, why wouldn't I make those adjustments so the people who are around me feel more comfortable? Like it's it's no skin off my back to figure out how to do something differently. I don't get any value out of driving like an asshole. Uh, so, like, like I'll figure it out, and just be open to the next one.
0: And you probably didn't even realize it. Like you just eliminated no there. You you had no clue. And that's almost like the. Man, that's why coaches exist because a coach can jump in your life and look, say, look over there in the corner. And you're like, where the hell was that pile of laundry? Exactly. And you don't, you know, it, you don't even, can't even smell it. And then it's just like, wow, was that really there the entire time? And if you've been married and dating her. I'm sure if you asked her, she probably would say you've been a bad driver for a lot longer than she may be able to admit. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, she did. Yeah. We had, we, I mean, we had the whole conversation babe. Like we, we, we peeled that onion back pretty deep. And then, uh, I, I like I said, I fought it for a little while, um, and then I went out on a run, and I came back from the run, and I was just like, you know, what, what do I want to do? Do I want to sit there and try to tell people that they feel the wrong way about me, uh, or do I want to see if there's truth there and, and gravitate toward toward it? And then, you know, when you start trying to drive not like an asshole, uh, you realize, oh, like this is a much smoother turn. <laughs> Dude, this is not. This or is where you not notice more horrible. of life
0: around you. I mean, even <laughs> if, you, if you equate to your analogy to a dad, that's just a workaholic in his career. He misses so much life around him while he's also doing that. And when any time a dad slows down, Corona did that. Think of how many people have slowed down their life to the point where they had to be home all day. They're like, wow, there, there, yeah, two, there's so much life around me that I wasn't able to notice. Or two, I don't know how to handle myself in this moment and I need to learn through it. And both of them are related to that analogy of how well do you drive? I
1: love that way. To, yeah. Way to take us back up, man. That's a, uh, how well do you drive? Like, can you take the criticism? Can you get to the heart of the issue? Can you implement the little changes to, to, uh, the life for you. you? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, pulling that conversation out of me, man. I had hadn't really thought about it in that way.
0: No problem. Well, Jake, this conversation was exactly what I thought would be rich in conversation and experience and wisdom for what other dads need to hear out there and grow through. Where can people get in touch with you and listen more about your podcast?
1: Yeah, if you go to jakeblanchard.com, you can find links to the podcast, to my web series, reach out to me directly. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Jake underscore in underscore Blanchard. Or if you're interested in my consulting firm, you can go to Delta P the letter p life.com uh and that's where you find delta perspective uh my consulting firm. So uh yeah, reach out reach out to me. I'm I'm happy to uh to answer any questions. I'm pretty open book uh and love the conversation.
0: So last question, what is a parting piece of dad advice that you want to make sure every dad picks up from your life to seasoned in their life?
1: Yeah, you know, your kids love you. Like your your kids love you. And You may walk into that conversation with or or just their lives with all your shit um, that you've got going on inside of you, your work stuff, your life stuff, all those different things. But those those opportunities to honor that with them and to give it back to them, that means the absolute world. And uh, I missed so many of those opportunities, either because I was physically away or I was mentally away. Um, and being more engaged with that, and just understanding that you can impact them with any little fun moment, fun story, fun little thing, you just have to be there, actually physically be there and engage with them. Um, and, and it, it changes your world, man. It certainly changed mine. Uh, and a long journey, gonna keep making it, but uh, I would encourage every dad to uh, take a step back. And think about what that journey looks like for them and think about where they can continue to just level up and uh, and and be there um, with love and just present for their kids.
0: Well, I can't wait to see what the Blanchard legacy does from your daughter's standpoint with a, do- a father that loved her in the way that she- he did and your son who believed in him in a way that he wanted to like go out in the world and do big things with a dad that is hungry as you are. So I'm really excited to see where your legacy goes. And again, thank you for coming on the podcast. This was everything and more that I wanted it to be. Ben, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope that that episode opened you up to the whole idea of being able to rewrite your story and choose life. Right there towards the end, that message, choosing life, really hit me to the point where it's titled of this episode. And it kind of hits me to the core of what my big takeaway is. Because oftentimes when we are constantly thinking about the past, we're not choosing life. We're choosing to stay stagnant, to be overthinking. And I, as I speak this podcast, suffer from this all the time because the past is often the only thing you can see clearly, but that's often the problem because the future is still unwritten and we often can only focus on what we can see and often that is the past So for me, again, my big takeaway from this episode is choosing life, choosing to be someone more than who you were. That is a core message that I hope hit home for you as a veteran. That was my intention when I brought Jake on this podcast. I wanted that story to resonate because our ability to rewrite, leave who we were behind, become who we were meant to be, That is everything that this podcast is focused on as being a military veteran dad. So with that said, let's get this episode wrapped up and get you back to the work week. And make sure you check out this upcoming Fatherhood Friday again for my five-day takeaway from northern Wisconsin. Guys, have a great week. Talk soon.